0: You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. Amen. You can have have a seat. Um... Welcome. Uh, I got to tell you, it sounds uh, really great to have like this wall of sound from everyone singing together this morning. Um, uh, If you've been with us this summer, um, as has been our kind of routine the last couple of summers, we're working through the Psalms a chapter at a time. Uh, Some are 12 verses, some are 40 verses. Uh, We haven't figured out what we'll do if the Lord uh, waits to return until we get to Psalm 119, but we'll deal with that bridge when we come to it. Um, but today's our last Sunday in the Psalms. And so Kevin Olson um, has been a part of a, of a team of people prepping for preaching through the Psalms this summer. And it's my privilege to introduce him to you. If you don't know who he is, um, I'm sure he'll share a little bit about himself as well. Um, but I'm going to pray for him and pray for our time um, this morning. All right? So uh, would you join me uh, in prayer? Father, we do want to glorify and worship you, for you alone are worthy of our praise. I pray you'd fix our attention from all kinds of distracting things, good things and frustrating things, things that draw away our our time and our energy, even here this morning, before uh, gathering here, that you would fix our, our minds, our hearts, our attention on you, Lord Jesus, and that through your word, you would do the work that you've promised in your word to do. That it would accomplish in your people what you've established it to accomplish. That you'd speak through your servant this morning. That the, the work that your Holy Spirit has been doing in and through uh, in Kevin and through Kevin in his preparation would be clearly on display. That you would receive worship from this pulpit, and from every seat this morning. Would you bless him and prepare our hearts to receive your word that we might be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Good morning, River City. All right, can you hear? (laughs) Uh, My name is Kevin Olson, and my wife, Robin, and I are... uh, we're engaged in working with uh, River City Kids um, on some Sundays, and then also uh, we are a part of Nathan and Morgan Jornstedt's, uh community group, um, and it's a, a great joy to be a part of that. My wife and I have served as missionaries in Southeast Asia in a little country called Cambodia for 18 years. Um, we've retired from that. We're back in the States and now trying to figure out what God wants to do when we grow up, (laughs) what he wants us to do. So, be praying for us in that, please. Um, Oh, sorry. Was that a little blast there? You and I, as disciples of Jesus Christ, were involved in something so big and so glorious. Every one of us, It's not just global, it's truly cosmic, it's epic, if you want to use that phraseology. Jesus Christ through his sinless sinless life and through his death, burial, and resurrection has purchased men and women from every nation and people and tribe and tongue, and he has saved them from their sins by his blood, and he has called them to be a part of his covenant people and has adopted them into his family. That's what we're a part of. And he calls us to make disciples of all nations. So just a little shameless little plug here right now. At two o'clock, if you wanna delve into that a little bit deeper, uh, we're hosting Perspectives on the World Christian Movement and our today's speaker, Sean, we're, there you are, okay, it's here. So, I remember back in 2001, we were hosting Perspectives, and 9-11-01 was the first night. Can you imagine the uh, issues that were involved in that? But we praise God that our speaker had already arrived before the planes all got canceled. But praise God that Sean is here. We're a part of something so big and so glorious, every one of us. It's going to take all that we are and all that God provides for us to accomplish that. We, as God's people, we will worship the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. And we will worship him in heaven. And ultimately, we will worship him in the new heavens and the new earth. Our future as believers is glorious. We are called to be faithful to the Lord through the trials of this life as an ongoing testimony to the nations. And we have all been given a bit part in that drama of redemption and what John Calvin calls the theater of God's glory. We're living in that, in all that God is doing and all that he's working through us redounds to his glory and to his honor. And we know that all sin and all injustice that takes place on earth will be dealt with and be seen to be dealt with perfectly. No sin will be swept under the carpet. Every injustice that takes place on planet earth will be dealt with and we'll see it perfectly dealt with. Either through Christ absorbing that wrath of God for that injustice on the cross or through individuals paying for their own sin for all eternity. But all injustice will be dealt with and be seen to be dealt with perfectly. And the glory is that All sin and evil, injustice and sickness and death will come to an end and replaced with endless joy and peace and love for all eternity. And that will be inaugurated at Christ's second coming. But we're not there yet. I just want to share a little story from the suffering church in China. Uh, This is about a sister, Yuan Mengen, She came from the wealthiest families, one of the wealthiest families in Shanghai. She was a widow with two young children, a son aged 11 and a daughter 9, when she was imprisoned in 1957 for her faith in Jesus Christ. After a year in prison, the Public Service Bureau thought that they would have compassion on her. The chief warden said, the past year, you've shown excellent conduct, so now we plan to reward you. All you have to do is write a confession of your crimes, renounce Christ, and you'll be free to go home and take care of your children. Surely your God would want you to take care of your own flesh and blood. The authorities arranged for her children to visit the prison. As soon as Sister Ewan saw them, her heart was torn and tears of love dwelled up in her eyes. The authorities asked her, What do you want, your Jesus or your children? If you want Jesus, you'll stay in prison. If you want your children, you can go home. They gave her a pencil and a piece of paper and asked her to write down her choice. And when they read what she had written, they were amazed to find that she stated in large words, Jesus cannot be replaced. Even my own children cannot replace Jesus. Sister Yuan chose to stay in prison. The warden shouted, "Listen, kids. Your mother has rejected you. She doesn't love you." Sister Yuan was sentenced to a further 23 years in prison. When she was released in 1981, her son was 34 years old and worked in a government job in Tibet. Sister Yuan hadn't seen either of her children Even once in all those intervening years, her son had been taken by the state and raised in atheistic schools and had been told his own mother had disowned him. Many Christians had visited and shared the gospel with him, but he always responded by saying, Your Jesus took my mother away from me. Why should I believe in him? Sister Ewan, when she was released from prison, traveled to Tibet to find her son. He rejected her, screamed that he had no mother, pushed her from his house, and she never saw her son again. Just let that sink. In following Christ, Sister Ewan was called to give up everything. Everything. And you know that may be for us as well, right? Everything can be taken in a second. Everything can be taken away from us in one second. But we're called to be faithful to Jesus Christ in the midst of that. Humanly speaking, what recourse for justice did Sister Ewan have in this world? What human law court would vindicate her and condemn her persecutors? None. Perhaps you're thinking, oh, that's an extreme example. How about, let's bring it a little bit closer to home. What recourse do you have when you see evil flourishing and you are pressured to be silent before it because you might risk losing your job? Every month we witness new celebrations of evil and wickedness. The world around us is becoming like a fantasy world where what is good is considered evil and the things that are evil are considered good. How do we address these issues? Do we just become angry, sulk, dream about revenge? Do we desire to strike back or do we just numb ourselves putting ourselves in endless streaming opportunities before TV or whatever we numb ourselves with these things just trying to forget trying to get through to the next day David is the author of Psalm 37 which is the psalm before us and it's a it's a long one it's 40 verses and uh, we are going to read it, and we're going to go through it. And hopefully, we will be out of here by two fifteen. No, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, so let's, let's just take a look at Psalm 37. This is, this is numbered amongst the wisdom psalms. Um, it's an acrostic psalm. Each section begins with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's one of those. It's like Psalm, I think, Psalm 34, Psalm 37, Psalm 119. And if the strike team is here, if anybody doesn't have a Bible, uh, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you. And if you don't have a Bible, it's our gift to you. Just keep it. But Psalm 37. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil devices, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will... Shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Abundant peace, shalom, is that word there, beautiful word. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the needy. Dusting? Okay, sorry. Uh, To slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so, you shall, so, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his t- tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more, though I sought him. He could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them, delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Okay, lots of, Glorious verses, lots of precious truths in those, in that, in that psalm. God's people in all ages have at times questioned the goodness of God in allowing the wicked to prosper and in allowing the wicked to have power and authority to afflict the righteous. Uh, I mean, almost every writer in the ancient church wrote on that subject. And we've seen it through to the the present day. That's a very common theme. Why? Why is it, if God is all-powerful and has all power and authority and he loves the righteous and he he curses the wicked, why why do we look and see that the wicked are prospering and the righteous are suffering? It's It's a huge stumbling block. Why is it that the wicked seem to live lives of ease and comfort and to enjoy so-called places of honor while the righteous often struggle and suffer afflictions and persecution and are slandered as doing evil? Psalm 37 does not answer that. <laughs> I, just, I want to lay it out, but it does not answer that. But what Psalm 37 does It gives us wisdom to live in the light of it. And so that's what we're after this morning. Wisdom to live in the light of that. Psalm 37 points, right? It points to the fearful, dreadful future of the wicked. They are going to be cut off. They will be gone. They will vanish. They will no longer be around. We'll look for them. And not be able to find them. You'll be like, where's Waldo? You know, the book from hell where they have a whole book of pictures and you're looking for Waldo, but they never put it on any of the pages. Right? You look for the wicked. Search for them. They will not be found. So it points to this fearful, dreadful future of the wicked, the endless pain and misery that is their portion unless they turn and repent and embrace the gospel of Jesus. And it teaches the blessed future of the righteous, the endless joy which is our hope. There is joy, and it's, our, it's glorious. The endless joy is our hope, and we are shown clearly that God will be the avenger of all the evil perpetrated against his people, either here on earth or at the final judgment. But he will avenge all unrighteousness and wickedness of men. You can go to the bank with that. You can trust in that. That is real. There are only two paths that lie before each of us, right? that lies before everyone in this world. There's only two paths. There's one that leads to endless joy. Endless, glorious joy in the presence of Jesus. And there's the path that ends to, that leads to endless pain. That's a quote from John Piper, loosely quoted. He did this great meditation before the Lord's Supper brought us into the reality of what Christ had accomplished for us. The triune God of the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit calls us to live on the path leading to endless joy in this present evil age with a future hope that empowers us to do good to our enemies and to bless them and not to curse them. We are called... We are not called to mind-numbing passivity in the face of evil. We don't just, oh, well, I guess it's there. There's nothing we can do. We just, okay, surah, No, we're called to aggressive love and good deed-doing and truth-telling in the face of all evil. We are not to diminish the truth. We are to speak the truth in love. But we're called to that. Now, I want to get into three quick definitions. The land, which is prominent in this this, uh, chapter. The land symbolizes the abundant blessing of God. So God was going to bring the people of Israel into a land, and he was going to bless them and cause them to be a great nation, and he was going to dwell with them, and that he would take care of all of their enemies, and he would be their God, and they would be his people. So the land symbolizes this tremendous, rich blessing of God. We see this in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And again, shameless perspectives plug. If you want to get into this a little bit deeper, 2 o'clock, be there. Okay. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. You see blessing and curse there? And all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. So even there, you're seeing that the land doesn't just end on itself, but it's extending out, it's growing, it's expansive, right? He's going to bring them into the land and he's going to bless them and then they're going to be a blessing to the nations, In Genesis chapter 26, uh, verses 3 to 4, Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all of these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. There's that blessing again god was going to bless them in the land and then make them a blessing to the nations and then in deuteronomy 7 and because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them the lord your god will keep you keep with you the covenant and steadfast love that he swore to your fathers he will love you and bless you and multiply you he will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give to you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There, there shall be no male or female barren among you or among your livestock, and the Lord will take away from you all your sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew will he inflict on you but he will lay them on all who hate you you see that God is going to bless you he's going to bless the righteous but those who are acting evil against the righteous God will inflict them he will bring vengeance on them God will do it so you can see here in just seed form the land promise to Israel is expansive right He promises them this little slice of land, right? Palestine, that little slice of land. And he's going to bless them there. And then through them, the blessings are going to go out to all the earth. We even see in in, uh, what we read in the the Beatitudes, right? What Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In this text, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the land. There's even an expansiveness there as Jesus is pronouncing that blessing. So it goes from in the Old Testament the land promise to New Testament expansive to all of the earth. The blessings go out to all the peoples and then ultimately fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. All the blessings of God are for the people of God and we will enjoy that for all eternity. So the other two definitions are going to go a little bit faster. <laughs> Sorry. the righteous. The righteous are those that love and trust God and obey His commands. Okay, which can be troubling to us. Do we always obey the commands of God? Are, are, are we righteous? So the righteous—they are morally in the right. They are just and they are justified. They are godly and live Godward lives. They are blessed. And they will be a blessing to all the nations. This righteousness is found only in Jesus Christ. Old Testament believers looked future to the coming of the Messiah. New Testament Christians, we look back, finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. So our righteousness is not from ourselves. It's totally a gift from Jesus Christ. The wicked are those who do not love God or trust God nor obey the commands of God. They do not believe. They are guilty. They are ungodly. They are unrighteous. The wicked will be cut off. They will be separated from the gracious presence of God for all eternity. And as a blessing to the righteous, will be separated from the wicked so that we won't, we who are the righteous, not because we're super great people, but because we're trusting in Jesus Christ and his finished work, we will be separated from all evil for all eternity. Okay, so those are some, that's the introduction. 20 minutes in, now we get to the 40 verses, so let's just buckle in. Okay, thesis, God loves and preserves and sustains his people in the face of evil. And he will execute vengeance on those that perpetrate evil against them. Verses 1 through 11, the meek shall inherit the earth. I'm just going to just briefly run through this and just highlight the glory of this text. Fret not yourself. Don't become angry over evil. Right? Don't get... so fretting is more kind of like a, a, a seething anger or kind of an anger that just sits in your craw and you just want to hold on to it because you want to get back at, the, at the, the evil that's going on. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't be envious of them. Why? For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herbs. Why Why delight or trust in something that's passing away? Put your hope in things that are permanent, things that are eternal. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Or another translation of that is find safe pasture. Find safe pasture in the blessings of God. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Shorthand. Delight in God, and he will give you the greatest treasure, which is God. (laughs) Right, Jesus, yes. Delight in him. Give yourself wholly to him, and you will receive him. That's the glory of heaven, isn't it? The glory of the new heavens and the new earth. We get Jesus for all eternity. commit your way to the Lord trust in him and he will act he will bring forth your righteousness like the light as the light and your justice as the noonday who's the one that's going to vindicate us right i mean maybe you've heard we're on the wrong side of history okay i'd rather be on the wrong side of human history than on the wrong side of eternity Because there's going to be a vindication of all righteousness, and that's going to come at the second coming. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers, and here he's basing it, for evildoers will be cut off. Those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. All of the big names and all of the evildoers that parade themselves before the the affairs of, of, of planet Earth now, gone. Maybe a footnote in some future history, but not definitely not the major thing. The, the major reality of what we're going to see is it's the little acts of obedience. It's the little acts of faith. It's the little acts of trusting that in the end are seen as glorious. It says, in a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek will in, shall inherit the, the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And we look for that fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus Christ comes back and all of the wickedness and all of the sin has been dealt with, we will be brought into this place of eternal dwelling, the new heavens and the new earth. It's a glorious future for the people of God. Glorious future. Part two, the wicked will vanish away. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. Reminds me of Psalm 2, right? He laughs at him. It's like he, at times, you know, like he has to get down, and like at the Tower of Babel. He comes down to have to look and kind of stoops down to see these puny little humans working their their plan to build this tower up to the heavens. And and God comes down to look at this little minute thing. Uh, The righteous, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth, but the Lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those who are upright. There's plans against the righteous, but God will frustrate those plans. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Their means of hurting us will be taken away. But the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord loves us. And he will uphold us. And he will take us through whatever trials he might be pleased to bring us through. The Lord knows the days of the blameless. And their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. They might not have an abundance of food. But they have an abundance in God to, to enable them to endure whatever trials they might be called on to face. The wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pasture. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord, and here comes that f- set of phrases again. Those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land and those cursed by him shall be cut off. Okay, so I think we're getting a pattern here. God is with the righteous and he will bless them. And the reason why we know that is because he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us God is for us. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, God doesn't love me, I just want to, I would love to pray for you after this service, to to be honest. God loves the righteous. For those whose faith is even small, it's not great faith, right? It's not great faith that pleases God. It's faith in a big God, right? Our faith can be small, but it's based on who it's trusting, who it's believing in. Section 3, the Lord will preserve the righteous. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds him by his hand. Isn't that a tender image? It's like walking down the street with your child... And you're holding your child's hand, and then they trip, as they always do, over the crack in the sidewalk. But as a good parent, you're there, right? And lift them back up. God does that for us. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I've seen the young, and now I am old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God will provide for us. These are lessons that I think that the suffering church has learned that I think we in the West need to relearn. He is ever lending generously. His children become a blessing. Turn away from good, or turn away from evil, I'm sorry, and do good so you shall dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice and he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. There's that phrase again. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. See, it's, You can see that, that it's, it's just not a temporal thing here. It's ever, forever. In the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. Notice that little phrase there, the law of God is in his heart. It's even a little pointer to the new covenant, isn't it? Right? In the new covenant, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. You see this glorious reality of God's truth being written on our very hearts. And then the last section, the Lord will save those that take refuge in him. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death, scheming. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them. And delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because he take ref, they take refuge in him. 40 verses. We made it. Recurring theme. God loves the righteous. He sustains the righteous. He will provide for the righteous. And he will cut off those who perpetrate evil and wickedness. And God is the one that will avenge it. We don't have to seek God frees us to be good, to love our, na- our, our enemies, and to do, to do good for them. We've seen in this psalm that God loves and preserves and sustains his people and will be the avenger of evil perpetrated against them. Therefore, we who are his people are called to trust in the Lord and do good. We are freed to love our enemies and to do good to them and to not seek revenge by our own twisted sense of justice. And we have the strength and the power to do that because Christ dwells within us. The meek shall inherit the earth and all the blessings of God. The wicked will vanish away. The righteous will endure forever. The Lord will preserve the righteous. The wicked will be cut off forever. The Lord will save those that take refuge in him. He Will be their stronghold. Psalm 37 points us to that fearful, dreadful future of the wicked, the endless pain and misery which is their portion. But it also points to a glorious future of joy for the people of God. Tim Keller has a great quote. uh, while other worldviews, this is from his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys for seeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. There is joy coming for each one of us who are faithful to Jesus Christ. There's joy But God may call us to go through hard times. And we need to trust that it's for our good and that he's working his, he works all things according to the counsel of his own holy will. So if we're going through hard times, if things are taken away from us, if we are facing evils that are unprecedented, we can trust that God is there with us and that he's leading us and guiding us in his ways. One quick lesson from Nigeria. Christians in the Middle Belt and northern regions of Nigeria are being consistently attacked by extremist groups such as Boko Haram and militant Fulani herdsmen. In response, the Nigerian government and most major media outlets have largely turned a blind eye to the issue. Over the last decade, tens of thousands of civilians have been killed in Nigeria. And more than 3,000 Christians have been martyred because of their faith in Jesus Christ. More than 300 Christians were killed by extremists in in early 2019, and that's when this took place. Amidst this devastation, a group of 76 Muslim-background Christians were kidnapped by Boko Haram, held captive, and tortured. The militants chose four men from the group and commanded them at gunpoint to renounce Jesus Christ and submit to Islam. The men were then shot in front of their friends and family. They were executed on the spot because they refused to renounce Christ. Shortly thereafter, the militants informed the wives of the four men that if they refused to renounce their faith, then they would shoot their children. Throughout the night, the mothers were restless until the children approached them saying that Jesus had spoken to them and said that all would be well. They told their mothers that Jesus did not want them to renounce him, did not want their mothers to renounce him because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. According to the survivors, the next morning the children were lined up in front of a firing squad. When asked to renounce Jesus, the mothers refused. The extremists proceeded to take aim. Then suddenly, they all dropped their weapons and started screaming and shouting in fear. Some of the militants ran away and while others appeared to have dropped dead on the spot. One of the prisoners tried to pick up a rifle that had been abandoned to shoot the militants that were fleeing, but the children stopped him and told him that he didn't need to fight. Jesus would fight for them. The entire group, except for the four men who were executed, managed to safely escape and re- relocate to a safer region of Nigeria. Nigeria. According to the survivors, the Lord worked in a miraculous way on behalf of those people in Nigeria. Praise God. (laughs) The last verse in our psalm today, the Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. And I just this morning, I want you to reflect on this. Who are your enemies? Do you have any enemies? Who or what causes you to seethe with anger? In what, may, in what ways do you fantasize about revenge? And how might you return good for evil instead? And then my final question, what is one habit that you can cultivate to increase your delight in God? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you so much for the wisdom from this psalm. Lord, I pray that you would take the truth of Psalm 37. Lord, even as distorted as I might have made it this morning, I pray, God, that you would take it And that, Lord, that you would etch it upon each one of our hearts. God, grant us grace to see, Lord, what a privilege we have as Christians. Lord, to even love our enemies and to do good to them. To desire their good and to pray for them and earnestly seek their well-being. Father, I pray that you would bless us. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who died to take away our sins, who was buried and rose for our justification. And Lord, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that was sent to dwell within each one of us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your comfort and leading us and guiding us in truth. Thank you so much, Father, for your great love for us. Lord, we're stunned. Lord, we want to be those kind of people that are, are echoing what's taking place in heaven right now. Lord, the elders before your throne never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Lord, they enter into worship. God, would you grant us that, Lord, that we would enter into worship. Lord, I pray that you would come in a very powerful way. Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper remind us afresh of your great love for each one of us. Strengthen us to endure whatever afflictions you might have for us. God, we cry out to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.